This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. An army of fools is no match for one guided tongue. Mimo used to always tell me that. I did not know she was talking about college football until recently. Late Kick is live. We are jam-packed. High atop a bustling and very distracted and scatterbrained downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Sunday night, December 17th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Is Chip Kelly one of us? Was he one of us all along? I tried to tell you, and now I'm going to let him tell you so you don't have to trust me. I've got college football playoff predictions tonight. Rose Bowl, we're picking the game tonight. Uh, Sugar Bowl, we're picking the game tonight. It's that time of year. Producer Jesse and Director Colin and I look extra forward to the time of year where we take your bold predictions from the summer and then we bring them right back out for the world to see in December because for at least a few minutes, it takes the heat off us and it puts the heat or the shine on you. And I've got a healthy amount of both at the end of tonight's show because some of you crashed and burned fantastically, and some of you really hit the nail on the head. I got Portal Intel. We are less than 24, 48, 72 hours from National Signing Day or Early Signing Day, and we have got Scoop. We have got potential flips going down. So it is a jam-packed show. Do not go anywhere. They are watching us in Wenatchee, Washington, Duncanville, Texas, Preston, Idaho, Bradenton, and Pensacola, Florida. Tuned in tonight. Ramen Noodle Express cranked back up yesterday. I uh, don't know what else to tell you. If you're not already, you need to be following at Lake Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. That's where those were posted. I don't like putting the bowl picks out if I haven't already picked them immediately until right before kickoff. So they're not always going to be on the show. I should have told you that, I guess. So at Lake Kick Josh, make sure you're following because we were on five of them yesterday. I've got several more still in the bag that we have not unveiled quite yet. All right. 
Let's get down to business. Normally, if it was playoff prediction night, you would think I would lead the show with it. And you'd be right. But not always, friends. We're flexible. We have an accordion-type show around here, and so we can expand or contract as needed. How messed up is college football right now? Well, a little bit. Uh, In fact, very severely. We've talked about that, you and I, a time or ten. But I uh, don't want to be the person who paints with a broad negative brush. We love the sport, as I have preached to you many times. Saturdays in the fall still feel the exact same. The old rush you get on third and two, fourth and one, tied up 17. They're on your opponent's 37-yard line. Game hangs in the balance. No one really cares about the transfer portal or NIL at that moment. So as long as it still feels the same, we still got college football. It's a... Long way from the sport going off the cliff by any stretch. However, that doesn't mean, if we love the sport, that we can't call things out for what they are. The college football calendar right now is garbage. The way that NIL and Portal are working together is not the way that they were intended, nor were they ever going to be that for anyone with half a brain on their shoulders. And so a lot of what we're getting was both unintended and easy to see coming, but we are where we are, okay? I'm not going to rehash that. We did a whole... Two or three segments on that over the past year, including one last week. Well, who cares what I think, right? I just wear the same two or three white t-shirts every week and talk in a microphone. But college football coaches have to live this stuff every day. Players have to live this every day. And so when they speak up about it, which is too rare for my taste, but when they speak up about it and they make a whole heck of a lot of sense, we want to feature it on the show. So Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins were in a bowl game this week, and they won. Congratulations. And before that, Chip Kelly stepped to the microphone. And it's an interesting time of year because you still have a game to get ready for, but you also are reflecting and you get asked some bigger picture questions. And so every coach is being asked right now, what do you think about the calendar? What do you think about the state of college football? And some of them are very guarded about it. Some of them are just wide open about it, but maybe they're younger or they cannot articulate how aggravated they are internally enough. But then you have other guys who have a ton on their resume and they've been around the block a time or two and they've seen the game in all different kind of iterations and they're smart. They're sharper than the decision makers themselves are and they've forgotten more about football than the decision makers know. One of them is Chip Kelly. And so someone asked him, what do you think about the sport right now? I'm going to play you a couple of pieces of sound, and I want you to consider how wild it is that the entire college football world, known for being at each other's throats, came together over about two or two and a half minutes worth of Chip Kelly just sounding off on college football. Here's the first cut. What is the the biggest issue that you might have right now, whether it be realignment, NIL, transfer portal, and what would your, your plan maybe be to, to try to solve it? I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our, our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left, and they're saying, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. Okay, I'll just, I'll just say it because no one else wants to say it. Obviously, he's talking about me for commissioner. But aside from that, whoever the commissioner is, yeah. Like, that's one of the most duh moments in college football when you hear someone state it properly. How stupid is it 
that the University of Washington softball team is about to play in Pascataway, New Jersey in a conference game. It's ludicrous, but why? Washington football's doing it, so every, every sport under the UW umbrella has to do it because we're all one athletic department. Well, if the term student-athlete has been laughable for a while because it's, it's in the reverse order that it should be, athlete-student is the order it's always been, and well, it's always been in, in our lifetimes at least, if, if that has long since been figured out by everyone in the room, again, with an IQ above room temperature, then it's not too big a stretch to start to ask ourselves, what about this whole model? Who says that UCLA football or Georgia football has to exist under the same university umbrella, under the same parameters that UCLA or Georgia soccer do, men's and women's? Who says that? Well, somebody somewhere, so we just go along with it. Now, I, meanwhile, have a sport at Penn State that turns about 99% of the revenue for the athletic department, but by all means, let's treat it the same as baseball. Let's not. Let's not because we're not idiots. That's why. So that's the first thing Chip Kelly said. Then he went on to talk about a scheduling model and getting television networks and getting big money people, but also big brain people, to the same table and understanding the greater good of college football is really what should be served here instead of the greater good of a university or the greater good of a conference. No one thinks like that, of course, in college football because college football doesn't exist. College football doesn't exist. The sport exists. Saturdays in the fall exist. You and I love it. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the sport, but college football as an entity isn't a thing. National Football League is. National Basketball Association is. I know where their league offices are right now. I could fly up to New York City. Not interested in doing it tonight, but I could fly up there and I could go knock on the door and get security to drag me away. Where is college football? Where is it located? Where is the commissioner of this sport? Who runs this sport? Of course, those things don't exist. And so no one's looking out for the greater good of the sport. Chip Kelly's kind of hitting on that. But you know what he also talked about? He also talked about the key to, in my opinion, solving a ton of the issues that currently exist from your calendar to the inadequacy and inequity and NIL and transfer portal and how discombobulated that is to everything in between. And he did it with this soundbite. And I would do this, and I think this needs to be done. That money now needs to be shared with the student-athletes, and there needs to be revenue sharing. The players should get paid, and you can get rid of NLI, and the schools should be paying the players because the players are what the product is. And the fact that they don't get paid is really the biggest travesty. Now, someone is going to come along and say, well, can't do that now. We're talking about a lot of money there. We sure are, friends. We're talking about a ton of money. But I had stats and info run the numbers, so I didn't have to. I'm just going to throw a number out there, okay? I don't think in the revenue-sharing world every scholarship football player in a conference is going to make 50 grand a year, but let's just say they do because I think that is a very, very hardy number for a, for, for a left tackle at the University of, I don't know, Missouri to be making. So let's just say they do. Um, that's a lot of money to distribute around there. Yeah, it is. we can't afford to do that. The heck you can't. Pardon my language, of course. The heck you can't. Uh, I... I look and I say, what if $50,000 per scholarship football player was the revenue sharing number that we arrived at? Probably goes well above and beyond the value of most of those players, the few superstar players notwithstanding. Most college football players themselves are not worth that much money per year in value, 
I don't deny you guys work hard. I'm saying in your overall value, you're not worth that much. But hey, let's give it to you anyway. Let's go 50 grand per year. Josh, that's a ton of money. Is it really? To you and I, it is. To you and I, that's a ton of money. Multiply it by 85. You don't have to. I did it for you. That's $4.25 million per team per year in payroll. That's half of what most of your coaches are making per year. You're telling me you can't afford to do that, especially if you reside in a conference like the SEC. Forget about the university. Let's just go every scholarship football player in the SEC. I got 16 schools down there starting this year. That would be $68 million to pay every scholarship football player in that conference fifty grand a year. The SEC just signed a new deal with ESPN where they get $300 million per year just in media rights dollars. You can't afford to do it. I'd argue you can't afford not to do it in the future. Because with that, inevitably comes employment and collective bargaining. And that scares a lot of people. And I understand if you just arrived from the past, if you teleported here from 2003, it's terrifying. It's where you are now. That's where you are. There's no going back. And it doesn't have to be dirty and disgusting and messy either, because when you get to that, at least it's structured. At least it's collectively bargained. And when you get to that world, you know what else it means? It means governance. And it means with the give, there is some take. And the take is your NIL as it currently exists is gone. NIL would still exist, but it wouldn't exist as the recruiting inducement it is now. When kids are getting paid that much money, your NIL would probably revert in many ways to what NIL is supposed to be, which is the folks whose names truly move the needle are going to get cereal endorsements and drink endorsements and car dealership endorsements. That'll exist, but that's what NIL is supposed to be anyway. What NIL is currently is illegal, but it doesn't matter because there's no one policing the thing. So leagues and, and in the future, perhaps a college football office also, if you enter into this kind of structure where we are giving you a cut of this television and media rights revenue in return, because it's collectively bargained, they get to put that scholarship down on the table and say, when you sign this, there's new language on here. It's been collectively bargained. There's new language here. You're not going in the portal whenever you feel like it. You're not transferring out of here whenever you feel like it. Therefore, your position coach doesn't have to be recruiting his own position room in early November. That's not the way that a real operational sport in the classical sense is supposed to work. But college football works that way now because it's not operational and functional in the way it should be. I wish a lot of coaches would follow Chip Kelly's lead. And if, if not all of you feel equipped to do it, that's okay. Why don't more of you do what Chip Kelly did, man? Like every one of you have complaints behind the scenes. I don't talk to a single coach who says, boy, I love the way things are right now. If you don't talk, someone else is going to. I would argue the absence of real sharp football-minded people speaking up has probably in many ways contributed to getting us to where we are right now to begin with. Because if you don't fill that void, somebody of lesser intelligence and smaller intellect is going to. And sometimes those people love to hear themselves talk. And if, if there's a little power vacuum in the room, they'll be happy to fill it. You're the, you're the ones who have to actually work this schedule right now. Doesn't rub you the wrong way enough to speak up about it? What's going to happen? Is the commissioner of college football going to come down on you? Is the league office going to come down on you? Do you think Chip Kelly got in trouble for this? Chip Kelly, if anything, is getting pats on the back for that. And by the way, I don't know if you've recalibrated your thinking on this yet. You probably are still of the mentality that Chip Kelly 
Pac-12 head coach just spoke up. That is Big Ten head coach Chip Kelly in the future, you know, uh, starting next year. That is a Big Ten. So erase that logo behind his head there. That's a Big Ten logo. That's the multi-billion dollar question in the room, isn't it? Would the Big Ten ever go for something like that? Would the SEC ever go for something like that? If, if status quo is maintained, no, they don't have any reason to. The thinking for the past billion years in this sport up until present day has been self-interest. Now, the NFL doesn't operate like that, but the NFL was built from the inside out. There, there is nothing the owner of the Cleveland Browns gets to do of any substantial value that doesn't first have to pass through the filter of what's best for the National Football League. Conference commissioners do the opposite all the time. University ADs sometimes do it all the time. Coaches can do it all the time because we don't run things in this sport through a filter like that. And it is time that we did. So again, I would encourage, I know a lot of you listen. I appreciate you guys for doing it. Uh, Chip Kelly ought not be the last head coach who speaks out on this. He's not the first. Harbaugh spoke on it. Saban's spoken on it. Like a lot of them have spoken on it. But Chip Kelly had his entire proposal. Chip Kelly was at a campaign rally. He laid out his entire platform. I know he's not the only one capable of doing that. And there's a reason why the entire college football media ecosystem over the span of 24 hours kind of galvanized around this. It's because everyone's been waiting for it. I mean, people who type for a living or talk for a living, man, folks like that, including me, I could talk all day. There's power when you do it. There's a whole lot more power when you do it than when someone like me does it because you actually live the life. I don't have to live with the consequences. If anything, I benefit from a lot of the mess right now because uh, there are also cracks in which there are opportunities to scale and build platforms like this. Now, that's not going to go away, but I'm not nearly as hurt by this stuff as you guys are. I don't run the risk of being fired because I can't build a roster because to do so ethically would put me 10 miles behind the eight ball because others aren't doing it. I don't run that risk. You do. So if you want a more sustainable future, if you want a more sustainable calendar, if you want some guardrails, if you want an idea that the rules of your game are going to be the same over a five-year period for once in your coaching lives, do what Chip Kelly did. Speak up and have an informed opinion when you open your mouth. Folks, listen. I promise you folks, listen. And contrary to popular belief, all of that matters. Nothing is etched in stone right now. We, uh, let me remind you guys, we don't even have a playoff signed off on two years from now. Do you realize that? Sure, we're going to 12 this year and next year. So, so those two years, people just keep thinking, are the starting point. And we'll work off that and build off of it. No, you won't. Not necessarily. There, there is a blank sheet of paper in the year 2026, I guess, and beyond as to how the future of this sport looks. Nobody knows. It has to be agreed upon. I know that there may be one school of thought that indicates or, or suggests, oh, any kind of change like that would take years and years and years. Hey, what if this is the absolute best time to speak up because the years and years and years aren't even decided right now? No one knows the structure of this sport. Dude, if, if I asked you to bet your life, what conference is Florida State University in five years from now? Would you feel comfortable doing that? I wouldn't. Uh, Clemson, I wouldn't. Virginia Tech, I wouldn't. And so 
If I ask you the same thing in 2018 about Texas and Oklahoma, most of us would be dead because we would have bet our lives that they're not going anywhere. They're going to be in the Big 12. What are you talking about? What kind of question is that? And then all of a sudden they weren't. And so things unexpected happen all the time. None of this stuff is etched in stone. And the people, if there are things that tend to be etched in stone, the people that have the power to break the tablet are more than willing to if a better idea is presented to them. You just got to have the better ideas. Let's move it on. Really happy Chip Kelly said what he said. Chip Kelly's one of us. I hope, I hope more of us speak up. Transfer portal, absolutely on fire. Ole Miss, absolutely on fire. Some are saying the transfer portal is brought to you by Ole Miss right now. And if you look at the results, it's kind of hard to disagree. They got the number one portal class in the country. Nine commits, seven of them on defense. Lane Kiffin, noted defensive mastermind, is putting on a transfer portal clinic there in Oxford, Mississippi. They are currently tied nationally with Colorado, I believe, for the most four-star commits. They landed Juice Wells today, the wide receiver out of South Carolina. That was expected, but you still celebrate it when it happens. They are the current crystal ball favorite, and many people, including my mind, for Walter Nolan. That's the number one overall player in the portal. You can tell, you can tell folks are uncomfortable about this because there are a lot of people saying, oh, this is not a big deal. Oh, man, you can't portal your way to success. Well, you can supplementally portal your way to success. Florida State just did it. Uh, Florida State has no intention of building their team via the portal. Mike Norvell knew what it took to jumpstart his talent roster, but what you can do is you can build through recruiting and supplement via the portal, and some schools are going to you know, need to balance that percentage more so than others. Ole Miss is in a current situation where they have the most workable schedule in the SEC next year out of perceived contenders, and they're in a situation where they've got a lot of the pieces they already need. They're not rebuilding their team, uh, but what they are doing is they're putting cherries on top of a number of portions of that team. There's no guarantee that it coalesces and gels as you hope it would. No, there's never that guarantee. But I will guarantee you one thing. If they didn't go get all these players, they'd have no shot at winning the SEC or going to the SEC championship. So they're in much better position for having these players than they would have been without. I don't know that that's controversial, but you still have some folks out there who just don't want to see Ole Miss succeed. I've been, I've been blamed as having been one of those people in the past. No, it's had not been that. I've just doubted that they could. And while I will still maintain some skepticism, what they're doing is very significant right now. Very significant. And they got some big-time players coming back, too. That wide receiver stable is going to be one of the best in the country next year. And with Jackson Dart throwing the football to him, and, and adding players like this. I mean, if they land Walter Nolan as well, you got some big-time pieces there. you got some pieces a lot of other contending teams would want to have. Kyle McCord is headed to Syracuse. Kyle McCord, Ohio State starting quarterback. Kyle McCord is headed to Syracuse. Fran Brown, I don't know if a bunch of you have been paying attention to this, so Georgia's DB coach Fran Brown got the head coaching position at Syracuse. And he's made a lot of noise. I mean, he's, he's brought in... In addition to Kyle McCord, they brought in uh, another kid from Georgia. They've uh, brought in, a, obviously, Kyle, well, Kyle McCord's not from Georgia. Kyle McCord's from Ohio State. They brought in two guys from Georgia. They're the crystal ball favorite for an edge kid from A&M. So that's the part of the country he's familiar with. And it's a team to watch in recruiting as well. 
I don't know that they're going to make overwhelming, you know, like tsunami type waves this Wednesday. It wouldn't be a shocker at all to see the name Syracuse come out of nowhere for a kid or two. Probably not stealing a kid from Alabama, but I mean, there may be some tier two or tier three battles where Syracuse makes some noise. But Kyle McCord, obviously an instant upgrade up there. Texas is doing big things on all fronts right now. They have landed Matthew Golden. That's the number four wide receiver in the portal. He was out of Houston. Looking to have sort of an A.D. Mitchell vibe about him. Texas is another program that is building through recruiting. Had an argument that was one of the dumbest arguments I have had all month, and that's saying something, yesterday, where a guy told me, team, I mean, this actually came out of someone's Twitter mouth, teams like Colorado and Texas, that's where you should end the sentence because there is no comparison between those two. But I'm talking about teams, teams building through the portal. I was told teams like Colorado and Texas. I hit up Trey Scott because I thought I was going crazy. I said, how many starters from te- that Texas has right now from the portal? There's like three or four of them. Uh, and, and entire lines of scrimmage have been built organically. And Texas will continue to do that. And what they will do is they will sprinkle because they can. They can sprinkle guys like A.D. Mitchell from Georgia last year or Matthew Golden this year, six foot, 190 pounds. He's a former four-star, and he is going to fit very nicely in that offense. They are the crystal ball favorite for Andrew Makuba. That's the number one safety in the portal right now. He's out of Clemson. A rumor a couple of years ago, 2021, all ACC and a freshman All-American. So again, this is not a situation, at least with the Texases of the world, where they are they're dependent. Like they're in a situation like South Carolina was, where if they don't go get those running backs, they don't have running backs. Texas is okay. It's just that the extra added juice maybe that it's going to take to win in the SEC and make a playoff or make an SEC championship game, same thing Bama's done. Uh, that's where you go to the portal. I mean, Bama a couple of years ago, Jameson Williams, had done virtually nothing at Ohio State. Came in, best receiver on their team. Because they had opportunity to offer him that Ohio State didn't have because their position group was too loaded. Speaking of Jamison, I would hope for Penn State's sake that that comp holds true here. Because Julian Fleming is crystal balled to Penn State. I should pause because it, it comes to my attention. Some of you may not know what that means. The crystal ball is a feature at 24-7 Sports where various experts and insiders they can basically predict what they are hearing and what they think is going to happen. It's a pretty accurate tool, a predictive tool. Not 100%, not, not foolproof, because you're dealing with, with people who change their minds. But um, Julian Fleming, uh, Fleming is from Pennsylvania originally, committed to Ohio State. He was the number one receiver in the 2020 class. And so he's, he's, he's been at Ohio State. He never broke out. And uh, had 26 catches this year in 12 games. So nothing overly special, but has the potential. And as a feature receiver, which he would be at Penn State, and a veteran leader in a room that needs it at Penn State, read between the lines there, he would probably have that opportunity with, with a quarterback who still, I think, has a ton of upside in Drew Aller. That Penn State wide receiver room, kind of like that South Carolina running back room. They need impact guys like this. They don't have them right now. Lambert Smith uh, was their leading receiver this year and had 673. So that is badly needed. The transfer portal is um, there. It feels like there are 5 million kids in that thing right now. 
So just stay tuned. And remember, we've got National Signing Day coming up this Wednesday, and coaching staffs are trying to handle both of those things at the same time. Again, isn't our calendar great? Academy Sports and Outdoors would never have such a thing happen. You know what they've been doing? I don't know how they arranged this, and I don't really care. But Carson Beck announced that he's coming back to Georgia for his senior year, and he was randomly just like at an academy while he did it. He's tossing the football around, which again is discouraged, but I think they have an exemption. If you are a starting Power 5 quarterback, they trust your accuracy enough to where you can go in their stores and you can toss the pig around. You can chuck it around. It's okay. Um, Just if you're not one of those, just take it in the parking lot. Buy it. Take it in the parking lot. Get some big leak chew in the checkout line. Take it in the parking lot. Academy.com is a very important website for you to know. You're wrapping up your Christmas shopping. I, I wish you all the best. Maybe you can't get to one in person. Academy.com. Now, as for those of you who can get there in person, go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. I was watching a movie with someone the other night. I think you know who I'm talking about if you follow me close enough on the gram. And the following sentence came out of this person's mouth. Hogwarts is so magical this time of year. Now, as we all know, that's not a real place. But Academy is a real place. And Academy is so magical this time of year. And I don't need you to believe me. That's what's great about it. Guys, go find out for yourself and you'd be shocked at the variety in that place. I got a lot of compliments on the viewer email, by the way, that we read the other night uh, from our, our buddy out in Colorado that made his way to an academy for the first time. Hey, no one ever sends me disappointed emails. Let me just say that. I need to turn my phone over right now. That's what I need to do. You know what we need to do? Actually, we need to predict the college football playoff. It's that time. We are 28 minutes into the show. Perhaps I have, as Meemaw would say, beat around the bush a little bit too long. Pull out the sling blade. No longer. I got to take a sip from the chalice, and I'm just going to put myself out there. I will be ridiculed because we are dealing with four fan bases who at various points I have picked against this year, and they will come after you in the comments no matter how sound your logic is. But it is a mathematical certainty two of you are about to lose on New Year's Day. I'm just trying to figure out which one of you are going down. And with that ultra cheery and positive intro, here we go. Washington versus Texas. It is the Sugar Bowl. It is Monday, January 1st, 8.45 p.m. from the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. Current FanDuel numbers. Let's check them out. Texas, minus four and a half. The total in the low 60s here, 63 and a half. Did you notice the public knee-jerk reaction when this game was announced? Maybe you fell victim to it. I know I did. They announced Washington versus Texas, and my mind said, oh, Texas, Texas probably, you know. And then you think about it a little more. Maybe you dive into some of the stat profiles and you say, "Uh uh-oh, matchup issues here for Texas. And then if you're really brave, you dive deep, 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 and you go, hmm, Maybe that stat profile is not as it appears. 
And then only just the pure psychopaths amongst us dive into the fourth tier, and that is, is it an angel-demon situation on each shoulder where I had it figured out originally, and then my evil subconscious is trying to mislead me to where I pick against Washington for like the ninth time this year, and that's a dark, dark place to be. You look in the mirror in the bathroom in the morning, you don't like the person looking back at you. So here's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and figure out how Washington, with the number one passing offense in the country, fares against Texas with the number 96 passing defense in the country. And I can hear you right now yelling, not too good, Josh, not too good. Don't overthink the room. Well, allow me to overthink the room for a second. Because on the other side, Texas has got the number four run defense, Washington number 100 running the ball in the country. So those numbers would indicate to you, Washington can throw the ball all day on Texas. And even though Washington may not be able to run it, it doesn't really matter because they can do the first thing. Is that how football works? In my experience, most of the time, no. In my experience, and watching Texas a little bit closer this year, a lot of that has come because teams have been playing catch-up against Texas. A lot of it's come when they're up two and three scores and teams have no choice but to pass the ball. And those stat profiles and those box scores have become a little bit tilted. It's not that the yards don't count. It's not that the points they gave up don't count. It's just if I have them in a one-possession back-and-forth affair either way against Washington on New Year's Day in the Superdome, do those numbers hold up? I guess it's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm not so sure that's the way it works. But you know what? On the other side, I'm not so sure they're going to shut Washington down running the ball. Now, now, these are the kinds of sentences that were not coming out of our collective mouths uh, about two months ago. But then Washington all of a sudden figured out, wait a second, we can run the ball half decent. I know what the numbers say. Like, I, I know if Texas is top five run defense and Washington's in the triple digits, I know those numbers suggest they shouldn't be able to run the ball effectively. Washington's no joke. Washington's no joke up front. Physically, they're no joke. Now, Texas isn't either defensively. That's why they have that kind of number they do. Um, Washington has not seen a player like Sweat all year in the middle of an interior defensive line. I will grant you all that. I'm just telling you, I don't expect to turn this game on and see Texas swarming and overwhelming Washington physically at the line of scrimmage, defense versus offense. They may win it. They, it, it may be stalemate to slight Texas win. I know too well because I have learned the hard way you're not overwhelming Washington there. And they can manufacture run on the perimeter through the air. Uh, they will have, I think, enough success running to where they can maintain, if not outright balance, at least the illusion of balance. Now, on our show, we don't believe in balance as being a statistical thing. We just think balance is if the other guy has to respect your ability to run the ball and pass the ball, you're as balanced as you need to be at that point. Stat sheet doesn't matter. Washington just needs chain movers. That's what they need. They need to move the chains on third down. They, against Washington, have put on two clinics this year. They were 15 of 26 combined on third down against Oregon in the two games that they won. They were 17 of 30 against Oregon on third and fourth downs. And those were the two biggest games they played all year. Here's that stat sheet again. I might as well pop the paper. Texas, they look, they look like they have the remedy for it. Number two defense in the country on third down. Now, I was out at the Pac-12 championship game. 
and paper, you know, this stuff here, indicated that Oregon should have an overwhelming edge on both third down and on the ground, and they had edges in neither category. Did that mean the paper was lying to me? No, the paper just says what it says, the stats. Stats don't lie, but they can very badly mislead you. Stats don't lie because stats are just showing you what has happened. Where they lie to you is if you assume they always predict the future. And that's where Washington's won games and made some people, your boy included, look foolish in the process. So just because that's the way it's happened this year doesn't mean that's the way it does have to happen on one night in early 2024. Red zone's always huge. Uh, we, we always check that, and especially in these big-time games where you don't have major edges, so you're looking for incremental edges here or there. Texas... You know what they need to avoid? They need to avoid that Oklahoma day in the red zone. Remember the Red River shootout this year? Texas outdoes Oklahoma, it felt like, in a few areas, but they get in the red zone a bunch and they don't score. Oh, oh, the paper has something to say, mind you. Uh, Washington, 119th defense in the country in red zone touchdown ratio. So look at that. The paper might as well be burnt orange. The paper is screaming Texas right now. Here's what the paper doesn't know. I don't know this either. Who's going to handle this moment better? No one's got experience. I mean, Sark's been there with Alabama, but his team doesn't have experience in this. Kalen DeBoer's got his guys going into an extremely hostile environment, probably 75-25 Texas. If they're lucky, if Washington's lucky, that'll be the edge. It may be 80-20, 85-15. Hat tip, Alaskan Airlines for adding flights to New Orleans. I criticized them two weeks ago. They came through. I can't help but take partial credit for that. Some of you don't realize I'm being sarcastic there when I say that. So let me, let me remind you I'm being sarcastic. But um, it's going to be a tough ticket, man. It's, just, it's, it's New Orleans and Houston. That's where the semifinal and final is. It couldn't have set up any better if you're a Texas Longhorn fan. But having said that, that doesn't mean anything. If you come out of the gate stumbling and Washington gets a 10-0 lead on you, it doesn't matter. And so who handles the moment? Because if Texas gets the 10-0 lead and they start leveraging that home crowd, then it matters a whole lot. I don't know who to expect handling that moment better. I could see Texas playing as tight as a snare drum. I could also see him, I could see him just jumping out to an early lead like they did against Oklahoma State. Actually, you scratch that. That's the first and last time you'll hear me compare Washington and Oklahoma State on the show tonight. But I could see them starting off fast. I don't know what to expect there. I think the game will eventually settle in, and that's where I think you need to forget about any illusions you have in your mind of Texas just out-athleting Washington. I know what the team talent composite rating says. I know what the recruiting rankings say. I know Washington, too. You're not going to badly out-athlete them. You won't make them look foolish. You may beat them. You may beat them by 10 or 14 points. But you're not running circles around them. You're not going to overwhelm them. Uh, you're going to do good to just beat them. So getting rid of that illusion, have you found enough margins on, on the edges of these different points of interest in the game? Have you found enough? Let's take a look at what the odds makers say. It's FanDuel right now, minus 4.5 in favor of Texas. Our model not shockingly, has Texas as a bigger favorite, Texas minus six. Now, I'm going to say something here that is probably not the wisest of words to come out of my mouth, given how short the JP poll has been on Washington all year. But I do want you to know, 
I did the manual adjustment heading into playoffs. So we manually adjusted Washington and added in a couple of different categories. So this is a revamped number. Model still leans Texas. When in doubt, I will go with the model. And it has not fared well with Washington games this year. Readily admit that. But I didn't find any reason to flip it myself. So in absence of that, I'm going to take Texas to win. I have no confidence whatsoever on the spread. I will take them to cover. Um, There will be no money wagered on this game from me. I will just sit back and watch. I'm going to take Texas to win. What I think will happen is there'll be wild swings of emotion, but I think second half game will be in the balance either way. And I think Texas is just a little bit better team to where they win it in the end. Not overwhelmingly. Don't expect anything like that. Really competitive game. I'm going to take Texas to win it, though. Of course he is, says my friends in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, They're watching us in Call Lake, Oklahoma, Branson, Missouri, Vestavia Hills, Alabama, and Valdosta, Georgia. Thank you guys so much for being tuned in. If you're watching live, please remember to subscribe. And if you're listening on podcast, subscribe. You don't need to get me anything for Christmas. All I want is you to subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast, and you're done. You're done after that. You only have to wrap it. That's fine immunity. So thank you guys so much because you've done that all year. Um, I always ask you, but I never thank you. Thank you for doing that. Now just get five of your friends to do the same. Oh, here we go. Rose Bowl. Let me take one more ceremonial sip from, mm, dare I say, a rose-colored liquid in the chalice. Oh. Story time. It's going to be a really quick story. I've never been to the Rose Bowl game before. I've just been to the Rose Bowl to watch games but I've only been in the stadium a few times. I've never been to the Rose Bowl game. And we get to change that in about 14 or 15 days. And I'm excited about it. And um, it's the early game too. Okay, let's, let's, let's dive in. Let's crank it up. The Rose Bowl, New Year's Day, picturesque as you could possibly get. Michigan versus Alabama. Just imagine the blimp shot, Colin, Jesse. Imagine the maize and blue juxtaposed to the crimson, and we're just a little speck there on the field somewhere. Awesome. Unbelievable. Do you understand how far away this game looked growing up in Harris County, Georgia, when I was a youth, and now we get to be there? Amazing. The Rose Bowl's in Bama's fight song, isn't it? I just realized that. Okay, so, so things have aligned from this perspective. We will get no viewership on this whatsoever in Tallahassee, and I understand it totally, but... It should be a very, very good game. I have, I've looked at this thing for about a week now. There is no huge edge. Okay, In regular season, week two, week three, a lot of times you think, oh, we just haven't learned enough about a team. There'll be a huge edge here, huge edge there. Dude, there's no, there's no huge edge here. FanDuel line is currently Michigan favored, minus one and a half. Over-unders in the mid-40s. So there's no huge edge. There's, there's no guarantee. There's no you know, promise that no one will finish minus three turnovers and you'll have two special teams score. Of course, that sort of thing could happen. But that deviates from what the norm would be. The norm, if we simulate this thing 100 times, is a whole bunch of really competitive games. So again, we're looking for margins. We're looking for incremental edges that add up to a win for someone. Now, there's the prevailing theory. The prevailing theory on Michigan from people outside of the Big Ten is yes, their defense is legit, but it's a little bit inflated. Uh, they are top three defensively in the country and 
points per game, yards per game, pass yards per game, explosive plays allowed, and red zone. And I don't think I've ever talked to anyone this year who doubts they're a legit unit. But there are a lot of people who say, yeah, but I mean, I wonder what they do if they faced multiple explosive offenses. The most explosive quarterback they face is just Kyle McCord, who doesn't have the threat of mobility like Jalen Milrow does. So Bama pops teams over the top constantly. They do it against everyone. Ironically, the only team they didn't do it against was Georgia, and they were still efficient enough to win. But they've also got Jalen Milrow with the ability to make you pay with his legs. And they started to use that a whole lot more around the midpoint of the season. And so it's one of those great unanswerable questions until it gets answered. Is Michigan's stat profile just fully legitimate? And does it translate? Does it meet the freeze point, as we like to say, no matter what level of competition they're playing? Or if that level of competition ramps up? Or conversely, if the water pressure against the dam increases, might there be a crack or two there that you didn't necessarily... Uh, you weren't fully aware of. Happens all the time in sports. You just wonder about Michigan. I know a lot of people outside of the Big Ten wondered about them. Well, good news, they're going to play the game, so we get to see it. J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy's probably the most interesting player in this game to me, actually. I got a lot of confidence in him. I got a lot of faith in in his ability, uh, but I also don't think that they needed to ask him to do a lot down the stretch. Now, also... I don't think he's without flaw. His game is not without flaw. And so he'll make a mistake. He'll make an errant throw. But at the same time, he's not a true freshman. And I've just watched him his whole career and wondered when that big moment comes and make no mistake, this is it. The Ohio State game was it. And this right here is for sure it. And they have to ask him to win a game because they're not necessarily doing a whole lot else on the ground against Alabama Is it going to be there? Are his receivers going to be able to fight? Uh, There will be no easy catches here. There are going to be a lot of contested balls, especially with with McKinstry and Terry and Arnold. And you've got a very, very good secondary. uh, and, And for Alabama, a secondary where every guy has settled into their role. And a lot of them know each other's roles. They've cross trained a lot back there. So yards, tough to come by. Completions, tough to come by. That's why J.J. McCarthy, to me, is maybe the most important player in this game uh, because it's not arm talent. You know, it's not how far can you throw the ball. It's about seven or eight windows, seven or eight needles he's going to need to thread over the course of a four-quarter game, and he cannot go six for eight or else they lose or they run the risk of losing. Another thing that stood out to me when I watched the SEC championship game with Alabama is uh, they, they, look... Georgia fans notwithstanding, most folks who watch the SEC championship game will tell you Bama's offensive line just dominated vast portions of the game, but their yards per carry didn't reflect it. Their total yards on the ground didn't reflect it. And it's almost like you had two different things. See, normally the the rushing statistics fall closely in line with how your offensive line perform. Sometimes there are outlier performances where your offensive line and its performance all, all, all of a sudden kind of detached itself from what your rushing numbers were. And sometimes that's, that's just guys didn't hit a hole properly or, or someone tripped and fell on what otherwise would have been a 56-yard gain and it throws the entire stat category into a blender. Jace McClellan was their starting running back and he was out for the SEC championship game. Now we assume that he'll be back for the college football playoff game. Uh, if they get the kind of performance they did up front on that offensive line, or anywhere close to that, against Michigan, 
I, I would assume they'll probably be able to run the ball a little bit better than they did against Georgia. Of course, you've, you've got Jalen Milrow as being a, a big part of that too, but it'd be interesting if they don't. It'd be interesting, again, if you get to halftime and you think to yourself, man, I, th- I feel like Alabama's offensive line is kind of on the line of scrimmage. Let's see, 2.8 yards per carry. 63 total yards. Huh, that makes no sense. Does Michigan have the ability to force short fields against Alabama? Because they've done it all year long. Michigan, offensively, is not an overly special team. Rushing, Jesse, I think you told me they're in the 60s. I think that's what our stat pack said. It's not a team that's lit it up in any kind of offensive stat category. They're a football team that's been dominant. And it is a complementary team game. And part of that is when your defense has been as good as theirs, it gives an offense really short fields to work with. Uh, That defense has been key all season for them. And the two times I watched them in person, Penn State, Defense owned the game. Ohio State forced a turnover early. Offense turns it into a short field score. Ends up being marginally the difference in the game. Well, if they do that against Alabama, that's how they beat Alabama. You can look at you can look at these sheets all you want to and say, "Ooh, Alabama's got a little bit better athletes." Well, I think Alabama's going to be able to run the ball a little bit better. I, I like Alabama a little bit better on the perimeter. Well, not if Michigan's average starting field position is their forty-five yard line. You don't. Uh, because that means that defense has taken over and forced turnovers like they've done all year. Now, conversely, that'd be my biggest fear is if I'm Bama. If I'm Michigan, my biggest fear is what if they get pressure on my quarterback, which I think they will, but we can't run the ball effectively? Because that is a legitimate threat here. Bama, uh, at second half of the season, has not only had pretty good success against the run, they've had success with four against the run. I mean, they've been dropping two safeties back against a lot of these teams. Now, they used to be able to play that way all the time, and lately it hadn't been like that, but they've gotten themselves improved enough at the linebacker position, and they're good enough on the interior defensively where they can do that again. And honestly, a too-high look is not even necessarily what you need against Michigan, but if they can afford themselves the opportunity to do it, then all of a sudden uh, that turnover concern shifts over towards the Michigan offensive side because you're not going to be able to stretch the field against them. And if you score, you're going to have to do it in 8, 9, 10, 11 play drives, and it's just I don't think it's something that Michigan is well-suited to do. So one of two things needs to happen. Either Michigan's going to be able to need to run the ball a whole lot better than on average we've seen teams do it against Bama, better than Georgia did it against Alabama, or Michigan defensively is going to have to set that team up with short fields because those sustained drives I don't think are in Michigan's wheelhouse here. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. Right now, FanDuel has Michigan minus one and a half. We are the total opposite. Our model has Bama minus one and a half. So we think the wrong team is favored here. And truthfully, I had a good feeling where I was going on this at the SEC championship game. I felt like either one of those teams, if given three weeks to get healthy, were going to be the team that I picked in this matchup. I assumed that we would probably see this matchup at some point. I felt like both of them matched up good against Michigan. feel like Bama matches up good against them. So I've painted you the path for a Michigan win. Wouldn't be shocking. But the way I'm going in the game, statistically the more likely path to me, is Alabama wins this. And, of course, Alabama covers in the process. No huge edges. Just think they're that much better in the end. And so that sets up Bama versus fill-in-the-blank for the national championship game. My pick tonight has been Texas, so would we see a Bama-Texas rematch? Perhaps. Or maybe we see Michigan-Washington, and I go 0 for 2. 
That's why we play the games. But I'm really, really, really looking forward to that matchup. Hey, consider this. Before, before we just cut this off, well, the show's not done, but the prediction almost is. <clears throat> Think about how weird this dynamic is. Bama goes to the playoffs all the time. When's the last time you saw them in a playoff game and they weren't the team the pressure's on? There's immense pressure on Michigan and Jim Harbaugh in this game because Harbaugh's the one who hasn't gotten it done. Harbaugh's the one who hasn't gotten it done in bowl games. Harbaugh's the one who hadn't gotten it done in playoff games. And this year is what it was all about. It wasn't about the regular season. And look, internally, they had a ton of confidence. They were going to get past Ohio State again, and they did. And as we knew this year, the winner of that game was, was going to be the Big Ten champion, and they were. Get to the playoffs and win a playoff game, at least. Get to the national championship game, or the season's a failure. Every Michigan person knows that. Not a failure in the classical sense of the word, but you have fallen short of your preseason goals if you don't make it. Now, take that and compare it to where Bama was in week two, where half their own fan base thought they were going to lose three or four games. And here's Nick Saban just dragging his team, kicking and screaming to the SEC championship game, and they win it, and they're in the playoff. And they're a one-and-a-half-point dog. I think more pressure's on Michigan. And I'm, frankly, I'm not sure I've ever said that about an Alabama playoff game. So just an interesting little dynamic to keep an eye on there. I don't know that that stuff means a whole lot. Sometimes maybe it does mean something, but just something to keep an eye on. We are right now uh, at 7.51 p.m. Central Time on Sunday night. And the reason I say that is because uh, I'm going to say some stuff here, and it could change by the stroke of midnight. So just take this for what it is right now. National Signing Day is this Wednesday. And National Signing Day has become really interesting. It used to be in February, and it still is, but the early signing day is when a bulk of the signings happen. To give you an idea of the landscape right now, as of tonight, Sunday night, 95% of the top 247 is committed verbally. So National Signing Day has not so much been about commitments. Now it's about Flipmas, Mary Flipmas, as they say on the streets, the recruiting streets. Who's going to flip their commitment at the 11th hour? Dylan Riola, number two player overall in the country, top quarterback in the country. Everybody's got their eyes on him. He's been committed to Georgia for a while. Uh, the late crystal ball momentum is with Nebraska. We're, we're, nothing, it hasn't happened yet. Steve Wolfong put out uh, an update about three hours ago that said, hey, I, I'm speaking as Wolfong, I still think he's going to Nebraska, but he's in contact with the Georgia staff. So this is not over. One way or another, it's not over. And he's still committed to Georgia as of tonight. I, I, um, based on what I'm hearing, I don't think Auburn's going to be quiet on National Signing Day at all. I think that one way or another, they're about to make some noise, not with Riola necessarily. I'm just saying Auburn, Auburn has way too many needs and there's way too much desperation down there. And they're way too good a recruiting staff for them to just kind of be quiet and sit idly by on signing day. Texas will not be quiet on National Signing Day. And that's a, that's a program that really is selling itself at this point. NIL top-notch, facilities top-notch, momentum, everything they've got. They're in a playoff right now. So headed to the SEC as well. Those are two programs I'll have my eye on. You know I'm watching the state of Florida. Okay, you know 
I believe that is the key to competitive balance in college football, the in-state schools recruiting well. Right now, Florida State is fourth, Florida is fifth, and Miami is ninth. Everybody's watching K.J. Bolden at Florida State. He's the number one safety in the country out of Buford. Yet another Buford Wolf leaving the state of Georgia. He's been committed to FSU. Folks are still, mm, let's see. Now, he said all the right things as recently as today. Auburn's lurking. Miami's lurking. So until you see the ink, not only on the paper, but the ink is dry on the paper, just, um, just keep one eye open. I don't need to tell Florida State fans that. They've been through... You know, they've been through Travis Hunter in recent history, so they know. They don't take any of this stuff for granted. Florida's class at number five feels very shaky, and that's the best way I can describe it right now. You see my fingers crossed. I'm pulling for you guys, not against you, but things seem shaky right now. DJ Lagway, the quarterback, seems like he's pretty solidly in the fold. (sighs) There's some other names I don't feel as confident about. Let's see, though. Let's see. You know how quickly... Billy Napier can tweet out that sunglasses smiley emoji and and things can change for the better. I spoke it into existence the other day. I am speaking it into existence again. Napier smiley face emoji, maybe several, between now and National Signing Day. Let's make it happen. Miami's at number nine right now. I would expect them to rise. Miami is hunting right now. As National Signing Day approaches, they will not be quiet. The next 72 to 96 hours, how far out are we going to go? It's like an extended forecast, are going to be very, very active, very volatile. And Miami is a team that kind of scares everyone because the quieter they are, the more you think it may be your back that they're sneaking up behind. So one way or another, Miami will be a team that we talk about a lot on National Signing Day. I just don't know where the attack's going to come quite yet. I would like to draw your attention to a little stat that we uncovered. The SEC and the Big Ten, the power two, as some are calling them in the future. Uh, It's an unpopular term, but it's just reality. You don't have to like it. I don't have to like it. But if you believe that talent acquisition is the name of the game, then you need to understand something. As we sit here tonight, I'm looking at the 24-7 sports team recruiting rankings. It is a bleak, bleak picture if you are not a Big Two fan. 16 of the top 20 classes are Big Ten or SEC programs. And I think it was like 19 of the top 25. Uh, That's not going to change. If anything, more of the oxygen will be taken up by those two. The Big 12's top class right now is Texas Tech at number 21. So like the Big Ten and the SEC have 16 in the top 20. A conference like the Big 12 doesn't have one. And it's not to dunk on these teams. Like, I think Joey McGuire and his team, they had a really good bowl game performance. They have a lot of momentum. Like, it's, a, it's an upward-trending program. That's a really nice program. They're putting together a really nice class. I'm trying to paint you the picture and give you an idea of how, how wide that gap is between what we consider pretty good, nice, and what, like, 16 of the top 20 are doing, and they're all in two conferences. Chip Kelly didn't want it this way, but it is this way. You know what you can do right now? You can go to FanDuel because they are the betting partner of this show, exclusive betting partner of this show. Every odds uh, update that we provide is courtesy of FanDuel. But uh, you know what I did? I hit them up over the weekend via email, and I said, hey, how about some hypotheticals? And they said, got you covered. And we have on FanDuel right now 
bettable hypotheticals, BHs, as Mimo would call them. And what that means is you don't have to wait for the playoffs to happen. You can go and bet any combination, you can bet any matchup, hypothetical matchup, that the national championship game could be right now. I posted it on Twitter Saturday, I think. So if you think it's going to be Texas versus Alabama, you can go bet it. I can tell you what the line is. You want me to tell you what the line is? Right now, according to FanDuel, Bama would be a two and a half point favorite against Texas. How can that be, by the way? Didn't Texas beat them by double digits in Tuscaloosa? Well, you know how the odds-making world differs from the rankings world. We've gone over that a lot. Maybe, maybe you think it's going to be Michigan versus Washington. Whatever combination you think it's going to be, they've got it right now at FanDuel. So you can go check it out. I think Michigan was about a touchdown favorite against Washington. Bama minus six against Washington. Uh, it was Michigan by about a field goal, a little over a field goal against Texas. They're all there. So you can go bet them. Of course, if the game doesn't happen, you just get your money refunded. But if the game does happen, you got that bet locked in already. And here's where the strategy comes in. So let's say you think Texas is going to roll over Washington. And you think Bama is going to squeak by Michigan. You can go bet Texas plus two and a half right now. And maybe you're thinking, if I get the results, I believe I'm going to get Maybe Texas is a pick'em, maybe even a one-point favorite, and I baked myself in two and a half or three points of value there. You play the game however you want to play it, friends. I'm just telling you, go to FanDuel to do it. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 800- 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. <sighs> One of my favorite times of the year. Christmas? No. Bold predictions revisited. Not my bold predictions, your bold predictions. I asked you in August, deliver them to me, children. What is so bold but something you believe in enough that you would bet your own money on it. Here we go. Paper pop. Got four big ones here. Oh, the first one hurts. Not me, but it should hurt someone out there. Serb Bart, or as he goes by on the socials, at Playboy Trojan, boy with an eye, USC will go undefeated with a top 30 defense from Northridge, California. Another in a long line of failed predictions for the USC defense this year. So uh, USC was not undefeated. And if you haven't watched the season, spoiler alert, USC went seven and five. 
Our buddy predicted USC to be top 30 defensively. USC had the 123rd ranked defense in the country. Alex Grinch got fired midseason as the coordinator. <clears throat> Next up, this one was a mixed bag, but ultimately, I kind of feel like this one was right. We got to go to College Station, Texas. Uh, Adam from Radford, Virginia, he checked in and he said, Texas A&M will win under six games and Jimbo will get fired at the end of the season. Now they went seven and five, but Jimbo got the ax. So he was, he was kind of right, I think. And they, I don't know. I mean, they beat Abilene Christian. They, they beat Mississippi State. The South Carolina win in the back half of the season uh, but by and large, Texas A&M season was a failure. Six wins or seven wins. It didn't really matter because Jimbo was probably going to need eight or more, maybe nine or more. Whomst amongst us knows to keep his job. So Jimbo's out. I'm going to call this prediction a hit. Jesse, I, I don't know. How, I'm going to call it a win. Next up, this one was so close. Drew, one of our many viewers up in Anchorage, Alaska. Drew, we appreciate you being tuned in on what undoubtedly is a chilly night, I would imagine. He said, each Power Five conference will have a new team win their conference that didn't win it last year. He was so close. This is like betting a parlay. You went four for five, which makes you a loser, Drew. You're not a loser, my friend. The prediction was a loser. Michigan screwed it up for everyone. Clemson, new champion in the ACC. Kansas State, new champion. Wait a second. I'm looking at the last season. Texas was the new champion. Florida State was the new champion. Washington was a new champion. Bama, a new champion. But that pesky Michigan Wolverine squad who will face Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Michigan got it done again. Not a loss to their name this year. And uh, I'm told not many players even broke a sweat in the Big Ten championship game. So good for them. There's the Undertaker handing the Big 12 championship belt to Quinn Ewers. I mean, one of the biggest wins for takers since WrestleMania 25 against my guy, Shawn Michaels. Um, this was so close, so close, but this is bold predictions. And it was bold and, and not quite there, but still very admirable. Now, this is the one that I wanted to get to. At Georgia Sports Fan said, Texas will beat Bama by double digits fueled by their elite offense. It happened. Texas went into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama by double digits. And now we, we have FanDuel with the audacity to install Alabama as a hypothetical two-and-a-half-point favorite against Texas if they played again. I was at this game, friends. This was no fluke. Now, minus two turnovers had a lot to do with it, but turnovers are a part of the game. Every, every bit as much as due on the grass. And it was a different Bama team, I'll grant you that. I would suggest maybe Texas is a better team now than they were then. But that night burned into my mind a thing that I've only seen that night. I've told you about this already. And that is the home fans at Bryant-Denny Stadium filing out midway through the fourth quarter in a game they were losing. I've only seen that happen in games they were winning comfortably. So bold predictions, some were good, some were bad, but I think it's very important to hold all of ourselves accountable, and that is what we try and do this time of year. Thank you guys so much for watching the show tonight. Make sure you're following on the socials. I can't stress enough, bold best bets. Ramen Noodle Express has not pulled into the station yet. 
at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you follow him. For producer Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.